Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Service is the theme of today's programme. The process has begun to find a successor to Bishop Peter, the present Bishop of Soda and Man who retires later this year. And for the first time, everyone has a chance to make their views known. And a courageous partnership, involving a couple of miracles, has brought into being a college determined to equip the whole people of God to serve the whole mission of God. Much more on these two stories after our first piece of music. I'm delighted to say that the boys of Broughton Parish Church Choir are back on the island now, so it seems appropriate that they should be providing our music this morning. After our opening hymn, I'll tell you where you can join the choristers as they sing choral evensong across the island during this coming week. Broughton Parish Church Choir and Morning Glory. 
There'll be more music from the choir later in the programme. And, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the boys of Broughton Parish Church Choir, with their musical director, John Catterall, are on the island this week, and we wish them a very happy stay with us. They'd love to see you as they sing choral evensong in churches around the island this week. And this is where you can meet them. On Tuesday, they'll be in St Paul's Church in Ramsey. On Wednesday, they'll be in Kirk Christ, Russian Parish Church in Port Erin. On Thursday, they're here in Douglas at St Matthew's Church on the North Quay. And on Friday, they'll be in the Abbey Church in Balasala. And all those services of choral evensong will start at half past seven. And they'll complete their week here with evensong on Sunday the 30th, that's next Sunday, in St Peter's Church in Craigneesh. And that service starts at a quarter past three. Now, the process of choosing a successor to Bishop Peter, who retires as Bishop of Soder and Man later this year, has now begun. The appointment of a new bishop involves input from the UK Prime Minister's Office as well as the Office of the Archbishop of Canterbury, making it quite a complex process. But who better to guide us through it than the Archdeacon, the Venerable Irene Cowell? There's a lot of consultation that needs to take place and it's quite involved and it takes quite some time to do. It involves various people, both from within the Prime Minister's advisory team and also the Archbishops, as well as across our own diocese amongst what we call the Vacancy and Sea Committee, who uh, are tasked with the, the role of, of drawing together a statement of needs for our diocese. Now, you started off by putting out a very, very widely distributed consultation and saying, basically, what interests you about the church today? What would you like to see in a bishop? And they're very straightforward questions, but of course they're going to produce as many different answers as there are people, really, aren't they? They are, but we've found as they've come in that there's been a common theme running through. For many people, there's an understanding that there's a need for for some change. The diocese faced many of the same problems other organisations face across the world, really, in terms of financial issues, buildings and also an ageing population. And I think for us, the challenge is, is mission in this generation to the whole of society and how we can connect and how we can address some of those issues. I suppose the things about ministry, whether it's at parish level or whether it's at diocesan level, that whenever there is a, a change, that you find that there are skills that are required to meet the new challenges that we're facing at the heart, it's about the sharing of the gospel. It's about the mission of the church. And we're called, first and foremost, to make disciples, to go out into the world and to, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. But, you know, we also face other challenges as well. And um, they tend to change as time moves on. And you need different ways of addressing those things. Already there have been a lot of Zoom conferences with individuals and interested groups. There have been some um, consultations. Some have been one-to-one, some of them have been in small groups. They've been a mix of people, both from within the church and outside the church. They've been led by the Archbishop's Appointment Secretary, Stephen Knott, and also members of the Prime Minister's 
team of appointments secretaries, meeting people from within Timwald, from within the community groups, charities and other organisations, as well as, as I say, church members. People often say, oh, the bishop, the bishop's office is a huge drain on island resources. Do we need a bishop? But in fact, that's not how it is, is it? No, it's not. The bishop is actually paid from central funds in the Church of England. So we don't actually contribute to the costs of the bishop. And I think that's really important for people to understand that, that it isn't a drain on our resources. And to have a bishop, I think, is really important as that spiritual leader for our island. I think the island is unique in many ways. And I think to have a bishop based here on the island is vital and and somebody who can be visible and be part of the community and life here. Bearing that in mind, the bishop's seat and the legislative council, that is often uh, brought up as a subject for discussion, Mm. that following on from what you're saying, you would obviously see that having that person there who has no agenda, he has just the good of the people at heart, Would you see that as being very important for the bishop to retain that presence? Yes, I do. I think it is important. And I think he is able to speak into different situations and is able to listen and also contribute to discussions and bring another perspective that perhaps others don't have. Now, uh, the appointment secretary, Stephen Knott, is actually going to be visiting the island and there's an opportunity for everybody to have their say, isn't there? There is, yes. He will be visiting the island Monday, the 24th of July, spending the day travelling around the island, meeting various people. There are some already arranged meetings with individuals and small groups, but there are also going to be two public meetings, one at Kirk Michael at the parish church and another one in Balasala at the Abbey Church. And the times of those meetings, Irene? The one at Kirk Michael at the parish church is going to be at 3.15 to 4.15. And the one at um, the Abbey Church is going to be, it's in the Abbey Church Hall. And that one will be at 6 till 7 o'clock. And they are open to anybody to go along to either express their views or to just listen to the general discussion. Yes, the idea is to have uh, an opportunity for people to feed into the consultation process. Uh, Stephen Knott will want to get a sort of view of the island and the people and some of the needs that we have here and also then to build up a picture of perhaps the sort of person we're looking for in our next bishop. And this is an opportunity not just for people in the church, but people outside the church as well, to be able to come along and either just sit and listen or to take part. He's been involved in this process quite a few times now. I think he's very good at listening and to people and to what's said and, and perhaps what's not said as well along the way. And he, the idea is he can pick up through um, all his conversations, whether it's the one-to-one or groups, something of the needs of our particular community here and uh, then again the sort of gifts and uh, abilities that are needed in our next bishop. Now this is not going to be a quick process is it and in bearing that in mind there will be a bishop taking care of the island in a caretaker role and that's been announced as the Bishop of Middleton and he made a brief visit to the island recently so that that he could 
in his turn, get to know a little bit about the island. How closely will you be working with him, Irene? He will be visiting the island from time to time and clearly will be at the end of the phone if needed. So I think we, we will liaise reasonably closely over the next next months and uh, certainly after Bishop Peter has retired. And of course, I'm sure we'd want to wish him, all want to wish him well as he retires. Indeed we would. Who becomes the next bishop is, is quite important for you, Irene, isn't it? Yes, but I, you know, I look forward to whoever that person is and it'll bring new challenges, new opportunities. There'll be a period of getting to know one another, but uh, I look forward to welcoming whoever it is and working alongside them. A little more music there from the choir of Broughton Parish Church, celebrating the visit of the choristers to the island this week. Time now to meet another visitor, Reverend Canon Dr Michael Layden, Dean of Emmanuel Theological College. He was on the island for a couple of days earlier this week, which gave me the chance to meet him and discover the story of quite a new organisation approaching training of people for lay and ordained ministry in quite a different way. Michael is the first person to be Dean of Emmanuel Theological College, so perfectly placed to tell us the whole story. 
Emmanuel Theological College came into being in 2020 when uh, the bishops of the Northwest, including the Bishop of Sodor Man, Bishop Peter, they got together and they reviewed the provision of training of theological education for the church in the region. So the Northwest Diocese, which is Sodor Man, Chester, Blackburn, Manchester, Liverpool and Carlisle, they work together and the bishops meet together regularly. Uh, they pray together, they talk together. They were reflecting on ministry provision and training and they looked at the three colleges that existed, St Melitus Northwest, All Saints Centre for Ministry and Mission and Cumbria Christian Learning. And they looked at the strengths and the weaknesses and they, they basically, I think, discerned that the strengths of those three institutions, if you brought them together would actually far outweigh any of the weaknesses and would be a real resource and a change of direction for the Northwest. You know, uh, people often talk about the Northwest of England. They talk about it in sometimes negative ways, you know, under-resourced, desperately in need, significant levels of poverty. 7.3 million people in the Northwest of England, 20% of children growing up in poverty. Real need. The great vision that the bishops had, including, as I say, Bishop Peter here on Sodor Man, the Diocese of Sodor Man, the big vision was... While everybody else is talking it down, what if the church was the institution, the community that would invest? What if the church were the people to say, we're going to see real meaningful transformation? What if the church were to say, we're kingdom of God people, so we're people of hope? There might be poverty, there might be trouble, there might be difficulty, but we are going to be here to be the agents of change and transformation. And for that, you need leaders. You need good leaders, leaders who are well-formed, leaders who are confident and courageous and creative. And um, that's what Emmanuel is about, and that's why Emmanuel was called into being. Certainly at the time, friends and colleagues were saying, this is mad, it's a three-year project, it's going to take ages because we have to close down the three institutions that exist, we have to create a new one, find a staff team, build community, welcome students. Actually, the, the genius, I think, was the bishops worked together, which uh, I say this often and I, 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 I don't think they mind. That is a miracle. Actually, 13 bishops in the church being working together with one coherent vision. It's a real joy. And when I was interviewed for the role, and I was, um, I sort of pitched to them a kind of summary version of, of their vision was to equip the whole people of God for the whole mission of God. And very pleasingly, that's, that's now our vision statement as a college. The bishops adopted it and said that's a really great summary of what we're trying to do, to equip everybody, whoever you are, whatever background, uh, whatever educational status, whatever socioeconomic status, if you're part of the people of God, Emmanuel exists to serve you, to equip you, to enable you to live out your faith, to make a difference to your community, to resource you, to be an agent of change and transformation, an agent of the kingdom. Which is dead exciting, I think. But uh, in terms of my appointment, I think they needed somebody who um, has a strong sense of vision and likes to see things done well. And that would definitely be me. And we've built a great team. The team that put Emmanuel together, there were three of us under the bishops that worked very closely with then a wider implementation team. And um, everybody said this was a two to three year project. Within 10 months, everything was done. And that was the second miracle. The, thir the first miracle, 13 bishops working together, but the second one was that this was all ready to go within 10 months, not two years or three years, as, as all the experts had said. Legally ready to go, financially ready to go, students ready to transfer. It was really amazing. So I hit August of, of 2021, and I had a holiday. I didn't think it was going to be possible, but I was able to get some time off um, before the students arrived in September of that year. You were very specific in what you said a few moments ago about all people, equipping all people. Mm. So... 
is it necessarily not just for people who are going to go through to ordain ministry? That's right, yeah. So we have um, several hundred, a couple of hundred students, just over 200 now. About 120 of those are training to be ordained. About 40 to 50 of them are training to be licensed lay ministers in the Church of England readers. Then the rest are all folk from all sorts of backgrounds who want to study theology, want to grow in their faith. A small number, three or four, are Baptist ministers doing their theology with us, but their their ministerial training at the Baptist College, um, just for ease, and we have a good partnership there. There's some Pentecostals training with us. I mean, we are here to serve whoever God calls, and that's that's really important to us because it is about saying we want to see an end to the sort of partisan approach to church. I'm not interested in ghettos. I became a Christian because I met Jesus, not because I joined the Church of England. And I think the one thing we all have in common is Jesus. So our ethos statement, if our vision is to equip the whole people of God for the whole mission of God, our ethos statement is that we are Christ-centered, hope-filled, and mission-orientated. And that Christ-centered piece is so important for me. You know, there are times when you go to church and you're sort of looking over your shoulder at the person next to you. Are they doing it right? Are they singing it right? Are they saying the right words? Is their worship good enough? And when you do that, you're taking your eyes off Jesus. We want to be the kind of community that stands shoulder to shoulder, not to check each other out and to police each other's integrity in worship, but to stand shoulder to shoulder looking at Christ and learning from him how to be the church today. What I often say to students is, you know, never be closed to what somebody else is bringing of their experience of God. Because if you say no to that, let's imagine we were to say tomorrow, we're not interested in what Baptists have learned about God or seen or experienced of Jesus in their own lives and their own tradition. I'm not just saying no to those Baptists. I'm saying no to what God is up to in that tradition with those people. And that just seems so counterintuitive for us as Christians to say, well, I'm only interested in the things God is doing for me, and I'm not interested in what God is up to in the rest of the world or the rest of the church. Because as as Christians, in a sense, we want to be those sort of God-soaked people, don't we? Those Jesus-obsessed people. So if he's doing some things around the corner, up the road, over the bend, I want to know what he's up to. I want to see a bit more of him and understand a bit more of him. But it is a challenge because, um, you know, the history of the church is rife with division. It's rife with schism and, and denominations because we, each of us wants to be, to be right about our experience. We want to tell the truth about God. And in a community like ours, where we all come together, we have to learn real charity, generosity. You know, you might be sitting next to somebody who thinks... Um, being ordained is 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 the wrong thing. You know, we have some students training with us who come from a more sort of congregationalist background. They don't recognise ordination. It just looks like funny ritual to them. So we have to make the conscious decision to say to one another, I'm going to assume before anything else that you really are a Christian. You really love Jesus and you're really trying to follow him. And I'm going to ask you to make that assumption of me. So that when we disagree... And sometimes those disagreements can be quite sharp. Our students are always generous and kind, but sometimes the underlying disputes are quite serious. You know, um, some of the hot topics in the Church of England that you may be familiar with at the minute, those are really quite divisive. So we have to make the assumption you're not a bigot, you're not selfish, you're not arrogant, you're also trying to follow Jesus. You might be doing it differently for me, and so for that we're going to need to exercise patience, charity, kindness, generosity but all of us trying to be faithful. So we talk about charity and faithfulness quite often as well as being really important and sort of virtues for us to practice together.
our curriculum is quite innovative. Traditionally, one, the way I trained, you were sort of sent off residentially, you studied theology for three years, and then you were released into a curacy. We flipped that, actually. So ours looks a bit more like an apprenticeship model. So students are only in college for a couple of days a week studying, and part-time students, it may only be an evening a week. But then they spend a significant amount of time rooted in a church context, working with an experienced, established priest or deacon or lay minister and learning the ropes hands-on so you have this really fruitful interaction between their placement experience and their classroom learning which means sometimes students you know throw their hands up in one of my classes I'm you know, teach ethics is my area of expertise doctrine and ethics and they might say well that sounds very clever in this room but how does that work for Mrs Brown in the in the parish church how am I supposed to explain this stuff uh, and that really sharpens the way we teach. We're teaching people so that they can minister well. And on the flip side, hopefully, my prayer is, they're carrying some of this theology that they're learning from us into their parish placement. It's making them better, more confident, more well-equipped ministers in context. The thing I'm really, really excited about is watching a generation of confident, creative clergy who will take risks and that's what we need actually the thing i keep saying over and over to students to key stakeholders even to bishops is we don't know what the future of the church is going to look like we don't but we know what the church is for because jesus has told us that that we're agents of the kingdom of god community of transformation communities of justice of inclusion of love of hospitality of radical service so we know what kind of leaders we need we don't necessarily know what skills they need to be able to do the stuff of the future because not all churches will meet in the same way. Even on the island here, there are churches that don't meet in church buildings anymore, meeting in pubs uh, and all sorts of places, and that's great. But we know what kind of people we need, people of Christ-like character, people with energy, folk who will, will love God and will love other people. When we designed the curriculum for Emmanuel, I sat with the former Bishop of Penrith, now the Bishop of Kensington, Bishop Emma Einson, and we sat together to design the curriculum because she had been a college principal in a previous job. We started by asking the question, what do we want folk to say about Emmanuel students when they leave? So not at the beginning when they arrive, but when they're going out of the door, what do we want to be able to say of them? And we came up with that verse from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what we want to be able to say, that they are people of love, who love God and who love others, and who care for themselves, actually. They recognise that they are worthy. So we designed our whole curriculum around forming people of love. And I think it's about character. We want Christ-like character. We want agents of transformation, people who love and will serve. And how they do that? Well, each context will dictate what's needed. But that they do that is imperative.
Thank you to my guests today, the Archdeacon, the Venerable Irene Cowell, and to Reverend Canon Dr. Michael Layden, Dean of Emmanuel Theological College. And just a little reminder about those open meetings tomorrow where you can meet and talk with the Archbishop's Appointment Secretary, Stephen Knott. They're in Kirkmichael Parish Church tomorrow afternoon at a quarter past three and in the Abbey Church Hall in Balasala tomorrow evening at six o'clock and each meeting will last for an hour. And if you listened to Michael Layden and wondered about his faith journey, then do please try to join me next week when Michael returns to talk not about the college, but about himself. It's an inspiring story I'm sure you'll really enjoy. And now it's time to take a look at our notice board. On Wednesday evening, there's another Summer Songs of Praise in St Adamnan's, Lonnon Old Church, starting at half past seven. The preacher is Nigel Cretney, the soloist Karen Elliott and her husband John will be the organist. And as always, there's a warm welcome for all to this lovely country church. And now to next weekend and on Saturday the 29th, we begin a week of special events to celebrate St Mackeld, patron saint of the Isle of Man. Events on Saturday the 29th include choral evensong using the Book of Common Prayer. That's in Mackeld Parish Church at half past six. And for this, we welcome the choir from St Peter's in Onken, directed by Mrs Wendy McDowell. And on Sunday the 30th, also in Mackle Parish Church, there'll be a Celtic Eucharist at 11 o'clock. I'll be talking more about other special events on next week's programme, but ahead of that, you'll find all the details on facebook.com, search for Kirk Mackled, or ring 816-900-816-900. And it's beach mission time again in Peel and Port St Mary. The Beach Mission in Port St Mary starts next Sunday the 30th and for the following two weeks offers activities every weekday from 0 to 17-year-olds in six different age groups. The best way to find out more and to register is to go to the website. The address is very easy. It's the initial letters of Port St Mary Beach Mission. So it's www.psmbm.im. The Peel Beach Mission will be in its usual place, on the beach opposite the kiosk on Peel Promenade, for two weeks from Monday the 31st of July onwards. This is the 60th anniversary of the Peel Beach Mission and there'll be a special service of celebration and reflection in Peel Methodist Church on Saturday, August the 5th at 7 o'clock. More about that on next week's programme. You can find full details by going to facebook.com and searching for Peel Beach Mission. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back tonight at nine, ready to open the door to our virtual late lounge and welcome you to Sundown. A mix of easy listening music and your requests and dedications. I'd love you to join me if you can. And so, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and happy week and a very good morning. The nation stays.